2: We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. A lot of what's going on now for almost everybody is feelings of separation. In one way, one could say that a lot of spiritual work is about transmuting feelings of separation to feelings of connectedness. And today we're going to talk about separation and how to create connectedness and really look at maybe one, two, three, eight or nine different small practices to transmute feelings of separation into feelings of connectedness. I often look at grief in a much more general way than is the common definition of grief. I think most people think of grief as I'm feeling sad and upset because someone died or a relationship ended or one of my identities fell away. My sense of it is that grief is really all of the negative emotions that we get caught in in response to feeling separate. So that grief is not only sadness, it's anger, it's fear, it's confusion, it's anxiety. We might not think of it as grief, but it is what is arising almost always unconsciously out of a sense of feeling separate. Feeling separate from ourselves, feeling separate from the people around us, and feeling separate from God. When I even think about politics, it really seems clear to me that what is going on is that there's an increasing tribalness here in America, that people are feeling connected to people in their tribe, but feeling increasingly separate from people in the other tribe. Truly, until we don't feel separate from anything, we are gonna be suffering. Because in reality, we aren't separate. In reality, we are connected, and even more uh, truthfully, more deeply, We're one with all reality. It's so that not to deny that I have a body that's in California and Fairfax and that you guys have bodies that are all over the place. (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) That aren't in Fairfax, (laughs) okay? That people are physically separate, people are emotionally separate, but there is a level of reality where we are connected, where we are actually. One consciousness, and that the more we can tune into that second level of reality, it allows this first reality to not create suffering. So that, for instance, when when Donald Trump was diagnosed, I thought, well, he might die. I mean, he's he's obese. He's seventy four years old. He lives on junk food. He I forget how many diet cokes and Big Macs he eats every day, but it's it's. A large number there. But the more I began to think about it, that if he died, it might not be a good thing. He'd become a martyr. If he died, it might really create such a backlash in a way that it would be better if he, if he stayed alive. And it reminded me of that Chinese story that we'll only talk about the beginning of it, but there's the Chinese farmer who A wild horse comes onto his property and he captures it and his his fellow farmers, his neighbors say, oh, you're so lucky, you've got a horse now. And he said, oh, we'll see. And then his son gets on the horse and rides the horse and falls off and breaks his leg because the horse is pretty wild. And everybody says, oh, you're so unlucky. And he says, oh, we'll see. And then a war breaks out and the army comes through his little village and is conscripting all the able-bodied young men and but his son is not able-bodied so they don't take his son and everybody but he says oh you're so lucky and he says oh we'll see and but the story goes on for about 20 minutes of back and forth back and forth things are happening when we jump in and say here's the way it is this is good this is bad uh we're the, the good is separate from the bad we're really really then open to being caught in these feelings of separateness. In a way, what we're talking about here, in a very non-morbid way, is conscious grief work. Can we begin to make conscious all of the ways that we're feeling separate? The background anxiety, the background grief, not to mention the more obvious ways we're getting angry and frustrated. I mean, just imagine now that most of us have been socially distanced, since March. Not being able to hug your friends, not be able to, in a very relaxed way, say, oh, let's just go out and eat or do the things that we're so used to doing, that this life that's creating separation in order to stay alive, to to not get sick, is going to continue on and on and on. The people who are not working with these underlying feelings that we're talking about are gonna have an increasingly difficult time. People are getting really sick and tired of feeling separate. So is there a way that we can be physically distanced but not feel separate? Is there a way that right now in this virtual room we can feel so connected that it feeds us for the rest of the day? Is there a way that we can go into our hearts, into our bodies, into our minds that even though we're not physically intimate, we're emotionally, mentally, energetically intimate? The basic source of separation, of course, is fear. And when a small child is born, the small child is initially feeling a wholeness. There's a symbiotic relationship with the mother. There's, there's no separation. And, At one point, a few years ago, I was brought to the bedside of a baby who had a horribly gone wrong birth, where the baby was oxygen deprived for so long that it uh, only had brainstem activity. It couldn't think, it couldn't swallow, it couldn't see, it, it couldn't hear. There was some slight response to touch. But other than that, the baby was disconnected from reality. And the, the notion was that I was there to help the baby die, which of course was completely ridiculous. But what my job was was to help the parents survive. They were older parents, they didn't have any other children, they thought this was their only chance to have a child. They did eventually have another child a few years later, but my job was to help this marriage survive if I could. But when I would go to that home, the first thing I would do I would go to baby Bryce, I would pick him up and I would hold him, and I would go into bliss because he was not separate. He was he had, he was not becoming socialized. He was not being pulled into the world by all the things he was seeing and and Reacting to, he was just like floating in consciousness. Of course, he had the va- he had the advantage that he was on this retreat, if you will. He was he had no distraction. <laughs> he, he was just pure consciousness. We have a lot of distractions. All the things that I've been mentioning: politics and coronavirus and financial insecurity for many people. And somebody I've been living with had to move out in the last couple of weeks. He 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 lost his job. He was he was living paycheck to paycheck. A guy I've been living with for six years is gone. He's homeless. Uh, boom, just like that. He came in and said, I have to move out in five days. I don't have any money. And obviously, he's not the only one. We get addicted to fear. And the reason we're addicted to fear is because the addiction, the way we're reacting to it, is preferable to feeling the fear itself. The the key here to going beyond fear is to be able to feel it, not the trigger, not what we're afraid of, not the coronavirus, not the president, not the bank account, but what does it actually feel like right now to be in this world? In English, we say, I am afraid. In Spanish, we say, yo tengo miedo, I have fear. And in Tibetan, we say, fear is here. So just in the way we English speakers relate to our think about speak our emotions it's so much more difficult not to get caught in them just imagine the difference between i am afraid and fear is here and i think that if we don't have some fear about what's going to happen to this country and what's going on right now what's happening to the planet that we're, we're we're really not paying attention this this notion of really working on converting feelings of separation and the fear that arrives from feeling separate into feelings of connectedness is a very important practice right now can we instead of being relating to all the triggers out there begin to feel the sensations of what it is that's going on and particularly to feel the deeper sensation not just the slight anxiety on the on the top floating on the top of the ocean if you will but what's going on deep down in there at times plunging into that place that we keep bouncing off of like touching a hot stove you immediately pull your finger back can we can we begin to train ourselves to just occasionally bear what it feels like to be afraid to be in a body that's separate to be in a body that's not it's not touching too many other bodies anymore So, my guru said a couple of things. He said, I'm always in communion with you. And he said, the only thing that's important is how much you love God. In other words, the only thing that's important is how much you stay in contact with God. Those are two very powerful statements. That God is always not only available, but in contact. It's not, it, it's not even something that we have to contact. It's just remember that the connection is always there. And that, that really is the only important thing. It's the most, not the only, it's the most important thing. If we can keep coming back to that, then all the other stuff is going to take care of itself. So before I begin to go, I, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, I've got seven different short exercises to create a feeling of connectedness that I would like to go through. But before we do that, i just like to open this up to some discussion about how you're feeling disconnected, how you're working with that, how you're trying to create connection in your life uh, with other people. I think particularly it's Useful to look at how you get disconnected from yourself, uh, which is kind of the same thing as being disconnected from God. So, who would like to, who would like to have some discussion here about what we're talking about? I would like to start it off,
3: Ramdev.
4: I put a, um, I read a very interesting article on the BBC, and so I put a link to that
2: uh, in the chat window. <laughs> so, what did the article say? It says, oh, it's, it's it. title Why I'm Not
4: Alone in Missing Hugs During the Pandemic. They did a study in England about the psychological effects of not being able to touch other human beings and how that
2: affects people, society. It, it, they did a study in the last few months. It's interesting. And how does it affect people? Not so well. Okay. At the same time, I know people who have done three-year, three-month, three-day retreats where they have not met another person except their teacher occasionally for three years, three months, and three days. I've met people who have been in solitary confinement in prisons who haven't seen or touched another person for months at a time, who come out of the process in a radiant fashion so i would i would really suggest that john's article is probably statistically very accurate that for many people being deprived of connection physical connection is psychologically harmful uh, a friend of mine Bo off right about the time i started the 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 Dying Project with Stephen Levine and Ramdas started the Prison Ashram Project, and what both said to prisoners was, "Look at you guys are locked up in a cell. You're fed. You you have a schedule every day. It's a lot like being in an ashram or a monastery, except you haven't chosen to be there. Just like we haven't chosen to be in the middle of a pandemic." So if you're busy being frustrated and resisting what you're going through, this is going to be very difficult for you psychologically. But can you make internally the shift that, okay, this is the situation. I'm going to use this. I'm going to turn this into my ashram. And that's what I'm saying to people who are dying. You're stuck in a body that you don't want to be in. You'd like to be in a body that doesn't have cancer. You'd like to be in a body that doesn't have ALS but you are. And you can lie in that bed and be frustrated and compare who you are with who you used to be and be really uh, very discouraged that you're not who you used to be, that you can't run around and eat the things and have the energy that you used to have. Or you can say, okay, some of these abilities are falling away, but what remains? Who am I in this ashram of a dying body, if you will. So, uh, the, kind of what we're saying here is that John's article is the point of it, that statistically, this is really difficult. And what we're trying to do is be the outliers here. <laughs> we're trying to find attitudes and practices so that this is not a psychologically challenging time, but it is a time of awakening. I was—I went on a hike last Sunday, which is one of the one good days we had here in the Bay Area. There was good air on, on Sunday with a friend of mine that I used to teach with, and I asked her how she was doing, and she said, I've never felt better in my life. It's like I'm on retreat. I'm meditating all the time. I, uh, my life is really... Uh, coming into a very deep balance that it's never been in before. She's not getting in bad relationships with men. She's, she's not running around trying to be entertained. She's plunging inside. Before we go on to the next person, what I thought I'd like to do is interject. Grounding, if you remember, is the exact energetic antidote to fear. Uh, even though I've been meditating for 45 years, I'm being a six on the enneagram, have a fear-based personality type, and again and again, I have to practice this dropping down, being grounded, particularly particularly in the midst of all this super interesting news. There's so much to be fascinated by, to keep dropping down into the root chakra, I find extremely useful for me. And I think uh, in talking to people pretty much for everybody, because basically almost everybody in the first year of life did not have this, this perfectly supportive environment. That's something about your life your mother uh, there were times where you were sick or your mother was busy or there was an accident or your mother had her own issues that there were things going on where the world does not seem like an entirely safe place that there is a, a fear-based to some extent fear-based relationship to external reality so what I'd like to suggest as we're talking now can you at the same time be doing this grounding exercise? And there are all all different kinds of ways of being grounded. Certainly walking outside, which we in the Bay Area have a hard time doing lately because of the smoke, which is really making things doubly difficult. Not only is all this other stuff happening, but you can barely go outside. Can you, as you're breathing out, just imagine that you're pushing out through the base of your torso. you're breathing out just dropping down into the earth the earth that supports and nourishes not the earth of dirt and rocks and worms as i'm talking right now can i be inhabiting the root energetically of my torso and letting the words come out of that rather than being up in my head and thinking about what i'm going to talk about next can i not be anxious about what i'm going to say or what's happening but just trust this sense of Earth, the sense of Earth Mother. I was mentioning before is what your, what was your relationship with your Mother, physical Mother, when you were born. And by extension, it is what is our relationship now with the Mother. When Maharaji said, I'm always in communion with you, one could look at that as also the relationship with the Divine Mother. All of form, energy, matter, reality is the Mother. And even though at times it's challenging, even though at times it's confusing, even though at times it's frightening and fascinating and all those other verbs. I guess those were adjectives, but whatever. <laughs> that Can we be experiencing this stuff from the standpoint of being grounded? And beyond that, all the things we're going to do during the rest of our meeting today are built on the foundation of being grounded the other heart practices the dissolving practices the right now we're being talking about being connected to the earth we're going to talk about being connected to self to the heart to others to presence to god and to space until you're connected to the earth in the beginning we can only very tentatively be connected to these other things because if something happens on the earth plane that is at all challenging and we're not grounded we're going to jump up into the mind to try to figure it out to fix it and to do all those all those automatic unconscious relational things to fear so that grounding is the exact antidote to shock attack fear anxiety and you can use your relationship with the news your relationship with feelings of isolation whatever's happening in your life that throws you into your mind can that be the motivation for becoming grounded and when you're grounded then okay from a grounded place how do i most appropriately respond to this stimulus that just occurred to me rather than this automatic thing that's often been happening Maybe it's my imagination, maybe it's just me, but it seems like the whole room has gotten quieter. I mean, I can I can really very uh, palpably feel that when we're physically in the same room when I say, "Okay, let's get grounded." How people's minds get quieter, there's more there's stillness, there's stability. When you're in the room with somebody who's grounded, it's unmistakable. You can be that person. <laughs> you can be that person for others uh, rather than waiting for the environment to bring it to to you or to me. So who's the next person who wants to say something and say it from the standpoint of being grounded? Gary. And uh, The only drug I've had so far is a cup of tea today, but that's another matter. Uh, I see it no, too, it, it, Huh? I see it too. The stripes are moving. The stripes are moving. <laughs> it's like that thing, as they say, don't be on TV with a pinstripe shirt because it, it starts, like, shimmering. And at a certain distance from the computer, your shirt starts I, I like. I could take it off, but I don't think you want that. No, I don't.
3: Hello, <laughs> <So laughs> Um I, I'm recalling when you were talking about grief, you were naming all of, the, you know, grief as like a conglomerate of a bunch of emotion. And what you, I noticed that you did not mention love. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What? I said I noticed that you did not mention love. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of uh, something Stephen Jenkinson says, which is grief is a form of love for what has been lost. Love is a form of grief for what has not yet been lost. So. I guess maybe I'm asking you for some comment about that, but I also wanted to add that um, my antidote for separation is tong len.
2: Okay, well, we are gonna be getting there. That is uh, step number four, we're in step number one. And certainly, uh, let's go to the Rumi quote, grief is the garden of compassion. In Tibetan Buddhism, they often say that compassion is really two emotions at the same time, joy and sadness. When the heart opens, there's a joyfulness, but it's it's also sad because we feel how much suffering there is in the world. That certainly, and compassion, of course, is loving kindness in the context of suffering. So when we're talking about love, I'm sorry, when we're talking about fear, love would be arising in in the context of compassion. And what I'm doing here is a more developmental or progressive approach to what it is that we're talking about, in that instead of going right from fear to love, I'm saying that in my experience, I, I agree with Stephen Jenkinson, so instead of going right from fear to love, we're going from fear to being grounded. And the grounding and then the centering is the support for love. Going right from fear to love will, in my experience, make the love unstable. And it will then be depending on, does the environment feel safe? If the environment doesn't feel safe, then you're going to fall back into fear. Whereas if you get grounded and centered, you don't need the environment to feel safe. In order to keep the heart open. So, yes, I mean, love certainly is the is the antidote to fear. And in fact, uh, Jerry Jempalski wrote this book, Love is Letting Go of Fear. He founded the Centers for Attitudinal Healing here, first in Marin and then around the world. Basically, it was support groups initially for kids who were dying, or at least had life-threatening illnesses, and then for their parents and people grieving and things like that. Love is letting go of fear. Once again, uh, that's that's true, but it kind of implies all you've got to do is let go of the fear and then you can feel love. What we're talking about is how to let go of fear. The first step, in my view, is getting grounded, getting embodied, inhabiting the root chakra. Grief and love are fourth chakra events. And if the lower chakras aren't alive and happening, the fourth chakra is going to be problematic. The demon of the fourth chakra is grief. Grief dares us to love again. There's no doubt about it. But the demon of the first chakra is fear, of the second chakra is guilt, the third chakra is shame. So as long as there's fear, guilt, and shame around, you can keep trying to go to love and and transmute grief into love. But if you have these these conditioned responses from childhood of fear, grief, and shame, fear, guilt, and shame, fear, guilt, and shame, it's going to get very messy and complicated. Does that make sense? So who's who's still grounded as we're having this intellectual conversation about the chakras and their demons and what supports what. I mean, the mind can be a wonderful tool, but it can also be a way of avoiding feeling that fear. Once again, before I said we're addicted to fear in the sense of thinking about fear and and having stories about it and blaming the trigger is an addiction rather than feeling the fear itself. Okay, so being grounded, and I find it very challenging because we live in a society that promotes excitement and, and accumulation and things that are moving up in the, I mean, getting excited, thinking about things, being very mental. And in fact, we're in a, in a third chakra power-based society. So that this thing of dropping down and being rooted, rooted to the earth is really an antidote to a lot that ails us. I've been a, a meditation teacher for longer than some people in the room have been alive and I, I find it a bit humbling almost humiliating that I have to go back to the beginning again and again and again I can go into non-duality it's, that I love that but, but having to go back to the beginning and say hey I'm not very grounded right now I'm thinking about it again I'm lost in my mind it's just drop down drop down okay so that's that's connection to earth connection to the mother who is always protecting and supporting it's that it's that chinese story of the guy uh, catching the wild horse if you're grounded enough you can let the horse come and the sun break his leg and the army not take the sun and you're grounded you just you just say this is what's happening i'm not getting excited about it maybe saying excited isn't quite the right word i'm not getting lost in it you can certainly be passionate about life, but not in the sense of getting lost. Okay, so who would like to say something more about transforming separation into connectedness?
4: Hi, Ron, Dan. Fran,
2: Fran, how are you? Yes, I'm
4: connected. <laughs> I just wanted to share, uh, Lori. kind of inspired me. Um, you know, we had a sudden death in the family uh, this week, and you know, long drive, eight mile, uh, eight hour drive. And I was asked the day before to eulogize my father-in-law, old friend, dear friend. And uh, the whole event was, uh, you know, separate from the standpoint of masks in front of my mother-in-law's house, you know, trying to do the uh, the mourning process. So I just want to share that. Up, and uh, it, it, it went as well as you can, have a, uh, a situation like that, uh, just a tremendous man, a great, an old dear, dear, dear friend. And, uh, I guess with me, my process, and this may be because I've had such, so much death in my life, you know, from my mother at four through my father at 25 t- to two brothers, and just seeing this whole situation, the, the reality of this existence for me it's all maya it's all samsara and yet we have to be compassionate and love and be the light itself the light of life itself to love but to always challenge the idea of who am i who am i really the eye of the ego is not what i am i am the consciousness the spirit The oneness. And so sometimes I have trouble not doing anything but the non duality, just going to the end of the line. And I know that's a, that may just be because I've been seeking so long that that seems to me just to to challenge the ego itself at all corners and to surrender completely to God.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: That's it. I I just want to share that. It was, uh, it's only, you know, it's just another. Me, I, me, mine, I. That's it. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm sure for your uh, also love to your wife and must be having a hard time. Fran brings up an interesting point here: is is going to non-duality spiritual bypassing or isn't it? And everybody, everybody familiar with the term spiritual bypassing that. We can go to love, we can go to non-duality as a way of not feeling what's going on, as trying to make an end run around our problems. Uh, The problem with spiritual bypassing is that it works, but only very temporarily. And that what we're trying to get away from will continue to come back, come back, come back. On the other hand, this developmental thing, I mean, it's kind of the conversation I was having with Gary there about can we go right to love, or do we have to be grounded in the first place? If we're grounded, if we're centered, if we're embodied, then going to love will not be spiritual bypassing because we're dealing with what's there. If you're going to non-duality, you can ask the same question. Are you doing this as a way of getting away from your life or as a way of being at the core of your life? Are are we doing it because we're we're suffering and we wanna push that away or that we're realizing at the core of suffering is freedom.
5: The beginning of this last session, when you shared the story about your experience holding the baby with just the still, this, this, the uh, just um, brainstem
2: you know, activity.
5: Brainstem, no, no other parts of the brain. You know, no midbrain, no, no, no forebrain function, and feeling that bliss uh, to everyone else sharing their stories it I felt you know really from the beginning of today I felt my heart open but that immediately made me feel grounded and then when you did the talked about grounding I felt I was kind of there already Um, just by really being with people and hearing their stories and in 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 such authentic presence and their their authentic presence uh, as well as mine, I guess. Um, so, can you comment on that? Just the opening uh, opening yourself to the other and their their experiences, their pain, their suffering, their their joy. To me, it felt like I was grounding in the present and in myself
2: at that moment? Very good question, and as an extreme example, I went to India right out of graduate school. I met Maharaji, who was the embodiment of love. And I had these profoundly loving experiences with him. I could tell you all kinds of stories about going into bliss, just being with this guy. And yet, I would then I'd come out of bliss and be really neurotic, a few minutes later, I had not created the foundation to be able to stay there. You're a psychologist. You've been doing practices for decades so that when stories uh, that you've been hearing open your heart, you're already grounded to a certain extent already. You don't have to go back and say, I've got to get grounded so I can open my heart. Uh, it's, it's It's all there at the same time. However, it might be that something came up like, you would you would get a phone call about something happened to God forbid your daughter. you needed, you would need to get grounded then to open your heart because the the challenge was deeper. And what we're saying here is we're going to go through a series of practices and we're here only talking about the most fundamental one of trusting being present, embodied uh, in the presence of fear and what whatever it is that's going on right now here we are we're loving each other there's probably not a lot of fear and anxiety floating around so just hearing the stories opens the heart but there will be times when we do need to get grounded when maybe later today you read something in the news or you uh, feel something in your body who knows what it is that
5: yeah, I you know what that's exactly on point. I, that's totally true. Exactly what you're saying. Um you know, when I listen to the news, which can get to be a little addicting for me, I guess for a lot of us, but um I have to ground by deta- detaching from it because it's addictive and then I listen to music, I meditate, I I I do whatever I need to
2: I need to do to get grounded. Okay. That's true. So here's a piece of homework for you and anybody else who wants to do it. Get as grounded as you can and go to drudge.com. Or the New York Times, but Drudge is a lot more hyperbolic, right? I mean, <laughs> or Real Clear Politics where they have the right wing and the left wing interspersed. See if you can stay grounded. And read opinions from people who are uh, you feel are completely deluded, and that it would be easy to get angry and and feel despair that people can't see the truth of the matter or no. at least see what you think is the truth of the matter.
5: I think that's maybe a little beyond me at this point, but I I hear the challenge. Yes, okay. I think that's I think that's a good thing to do in in the. A book of you know, like musical like exercises. That's you know maybe a few pages away from where I am, maybe several. But I I would I would try it certainly because maybe I can do better than I think I can. Right. Um, but that state that is is so anguishing to be in.
2: Well, it's, <laughs> it's trying to tell you something, that anguish. It's trying to tell you something. And a few weeks ago, I think we talked about the one-breath meditation. And somebody was saying, I forget whose article this was that I'm, I'm quoting here, but he was saying that in in spiritual practice, it's much like music. It's not like technical proficiency that you can play perfectly and fast but it's it's the quality of the tone in music to get this quality you go back and you do the the basic exercises you you practice the scales until you can play them with a certain kind of uh feeling a certain kind of tone quality and it's the same with your awareness so can you can you like right now take one exhalation where you completely pay attention. You pay attention to the tone of being present for breathing out one time. And then when you get really good at that, you go to a much more advanced exercise of the two-breath meditation. <laughs> and can you do that for two breaths? And we're, we're not going to go up to 20 breaths. We're Maybe go up to three breaths, but just occasionally Can you find the the tone of your life by being, for a very short amount of time, being really grounded or really being, cultivating the awareness to be with the the quality of the exhalation, particularly the point at the very end of the exhalation, when there's nobody breathing anymore, to be with that very fully and open-heartedly. And then that, that that begins to extend to, the rest of what it is that's that's going on in life that tone that 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 feeling tone
0: okay. uh Rhonda nicholas has a question thank you uh dale for this practice and for guiding us um i wish i could be as grounded as Most of the people who have spoken, I'm actually very angry and um, I'm acknowledging all of my feelings and emotions as they come and go. And um, the good thing is that I I find moments of peace during the day. But if I were to list the things I'm going through, from having to give up our car, being unemployed and underemployed, from seeing our city, uh, Trump called our city a ghost town. Perhaps the most vibrant city in the world, New York City, is basically dead for now. Uh, to not being able to use my arms for eight weeks, being in pain for eight weeks. Um, so sometimes I feel like I'm a blender with rocks inside of me, blending rocks. And I get angry and then I do meditation and I let go and I don't blame it on anybody and I and on and on. But... Um, my question is Would you be willing to talk and can you explain um, how this whole situation we're going through may relate to um, karma or can be talked from a karmic perspective? Because uh, being from Latin America and the Caribbean, we had endured some of the same things that this country has endured. And actually, this country sat most of, on, or all of the dictators in Latin America, we went through this. We were killed, we were silenced for decades. And I feel that now this is coming back here from a karmic perspective. Perhaps I'm wrong. I don't know. Do you have any insights?
2: It might surprise you to hear me say that I, I try not to get too theoretical about things. <laughs> Maybe I, I sound too theoretical most of the time anyway. The Buddha said that trying to understand karma is one of the four things that can unhinge the mind. And certainly there is a collective karma as well as an individual karma. Uh, The United States has done horrific things to Latin America, for sure. Uh, To try to figure it out with the mind and, and say, well, this is karmic retribution for what we've done to Central America... Uh, can maybe bring some temporary mental respite from frustration. Uh, But I would suggest that a more healing practice would be to uh, ask yourself, how clearly, how directly, how nakedly can you be with that anger? And anger is a difficult emotion because it arises so suddenly and quickly. And it's so hot, but anger itself is, as all emotions, they're not good or bad. It's it's a healing message, and if you really hear the anger, that almost always underneath it, you'll you'll find that there's a, a, a deep sadness about something, so that that you can take any any repetitive emotion and begin to work with it, really pay attention to it. What does it feel like to be angry? Not why am I angry and what has the the government done to the other Central American countries or something, but what what does it really feel like to be angry? Where do I feel it in my body? What happens to my mind when I get angry? And the more you get into it, it will reveal a deeper emotion which is almost always sadness. So now you start working with the sadness. You're really sad that what's happened to your arms and what's happened to your fellow countrymen and what's happened to the Bronx and what's happened to all these things. And if you you go into the sadness enough, almost always there's going to be fear underneath that, which is what we've been talking about so far. So that any difficult emotion, particularly repetitive one, is the gateway. You start peeling away the layers, if you will, to the more core issue of separation, that you're separate from self, you're separate from God, so that anger can be a freeing emotion if you're connected. It's not like anger is bad. It's like anger is probably a very appropriate emotion to what it is that's going on in your life, but getting caught in anger Mm -hmm. creates a lot of suffering. And can the anger then be used as a as a, a guide or a, a, a means to awakening, if you will. It's certainly a more difficult emotion than, than happiness or calmness, but, but it turns out that's the, that's, the, that's the emotion that's predominating now for you. Let me mention these other connecting exercises. Some of them we'll do, some of them maybe we'll just mention. So we talked about connecting to the Earth through grounding. The next one is connecting to yourself through being centered. And this is really a core practice of dropping down into the lower belly. So instead of inhabiting the root chakra, you're inhabiting the lower belly down below the navel. And the trick is, is as you're breathing out, you keep strength in the lower belly. Imagine that you had this big, huge blood pressure cuff all around your lower waist there, right below the navel. And that the pressure on it was constant, whether you were breathing in or breathing out. And that your attention was down there in the center. So this is the antidote to guilt and shame. This is the energetic center that allows us to freely express the energy of the universe and be empowered to let that energy flow through us. It's not our energy, it's the energy, it's not our power, it's the power but we're moving from this more dependent, grounded state of trusting the mother to support and nourish us to now being independent and expressing energy out into the world. So we're connected to the energy of the universe and feeling that we're autonomous. We're connected to a sense of self. Even going back to that conversation with Gary about love or even what Susan was saying about going right to love and not having to be centered or grounded. If you're centered and grounded, you can do that. If in fact, you aren't centered, then yes, your heart can open, but there isn't somebody there in the sense of a small self to be the foundation for keeping the heart open. One of my friends who's a therapist and a Buddhist said, you have to become somebody before you can become nobody. And dying into the heart is in a way becoming nobody. If you're not somebody, if you don't have an integrated personality structure and you feel a sense of autonomy, then it's gonna be unbearable to rest in nobodiness. Okay, so these are developmental stages. Uh, it's very easy to write books and make a lot of money about concentrating on the far end of the spectrum here and Eckhart Tolle and w- whatever people saying oh it's just surrendering into non-duality which is true but how many of us can do that? How many of us can just hang out in non-duality when you find out that your your father-in-law died or that your your child is having a problem or that that the 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 country is is ripping into uh, is ripping apart in various kinds of ways. Second connecting exercise is becoming centered. The third one is conscious grief work. Everybody is grieving. Even if somebody close to you hasn't died lately, and I know somebody very close to you has died for many people in this room, even though somebody hasn't died lately or ever, you are grieving. And can we begin to, at times, this is not something we're doing 24-7, but at times, go into a protected environment and be with our grief and open to it, feel it in the body, not try to figure it out, not try to heal it and push it away, but what does it feel like to be somebody who has this sense of separation and grief? until we can feel it, we can't heal it. Until we can feel the separation, until we can feel the grief of being separated from ourselves and from each other and from God, the heart will not completely open. So that grief work is, in a way, creating the foundation for the heart to open. And then we can do... The next stage is what Gary was talking about is connecting to other people, with Tong Len, with loving kindness practice, with compassion practice. And what I've been finding, and I talked about two weeks ago, is that instead of looking at what's going on in my body and my home and my family, at least at times, to do practice for everybody, all people who are suffering because of the pandemic, all people who are uh, financially insecure right now, all people who are the victims of social injustice because of the color of their skin. Do a practice for a much bigger group of people takes one beyond self-clinging and self-cherishing. I mean, in a way, one of the fundamental points of Tong Len is that by breathing in the suffering of somebody else, we're cutting at the very root our own self-cherishing. We're we're revealing the larger identity of our wholeness, that we're not these separate beings, that that a heart is big enough to include the suffering of vast groups of people. So that, that Tonglen, or just basic compassion practice, basic loving kindness practice, I won't explain these practices. Uh, you know them. If you don't, they're all over our website, and you can find that stuff very easily. In, instead of, oh my God, the world's falling apart, sit down and say, the world's falling apart, and I'm going to have compassion for the part that's falling apart, then connects us, that we're using the imbalance as the inspiration for connecting, for seeing beyond the imbalance. There's a, a practice that I call the tantric three-step That's many of you have heard me talk about. I, I made up the term, it's kind of a play on the country two-step dance. This is the tantric three-step. And it's kind of what I was explaining to Nicholas about working with his anger. It's, it's a way of being with any event, whether it's anger or grief or separation or whatever you're feeling, and going to Presence with a capital P. The first step is embodied mindfulness. You're grounded, you're centered in the body, in the mind, you have a clear mindfulness in the heart. The heart is aware of the feeling and response to this emotion. So the first step is embodied mindfulness of what it is you're feeling. The second step, then, is can I open my heart to what it is that I'm feeling? Can I have compassion for this emotion? Can I have compassion for being angry? Can I have compassion for feeling frightened. The third step then, it's harder to put into a few words as we're doing this in a very summarized fashion, is the third step is a tantric relationship of realizing that even the anger, even the fear, even whatever emotion it is, is an expression of the divine. It's one of the faces of the the divine. We're going beyond pure and impure we're having a a very large definition of divine here. It's not like going to church and seeing beautiful statues. It's that everything is imbued with presence. We can find great sustenance by realizing the inherent joyfulness and, and wholeness in each experience. We're going from being mindful of what it feels like in an embodied sense. We're opening our hearts to it. And as we open our hearts, the hearts become, the heart becomes vaster and vaster. And the eye fixation is still there, but it's so much less central because the heart, we're seeing how sky-like and boundless it is. And in this boundlessness of the heart, then it is revealed that because we're not fixated on self, It's revealed the nature of things. This sacred nature, this divine nature, this wholeness is revealed. And this is the work of a lifetime. It's also a trajectory that can take three seconds. Like right now, you can look at it, you can feel an emotion. Maybe you're excited, maybe you're bored, maybe you're whatever is happening right now. What does it feel like right now in your body? Can you open your heart to this is my life right now? And this is the expression of presence. This is it. Boom, just that quickly, boom, boom, boom. And then can you rest in that sense that th- this is presence? Even though all the traditions say we're enlightened already, it's only our assumptions that prevent us from realizing that. It's not. It's, there's nothing to find that isn't here right now. So that we're working with being in direct intimate relationship with these these notions, these these conditionings that keep convincing the ego structure that we're not whole. And we're loving even that. And that then reveals that even this, even this. So that's the tantric three-step. Going beyond that, and we've talked about before guru yoga, uh, getting connected to God, imagining God coming into your office, into your bedroom, whatever form appeals to you, sitting in front of you, what does it feel like to be there with the embodiment of wisdom and compassion and love? How remarkable is it? What is, are there chills in your body that, that you're actually with that purity, that wholeness, that beauty. Uh, And then you imagine that you're being purified by that. You're imagining that you're merging with that. Your body and God's body are the same substance. You merge into just this one body, and then finally, even that dissolves. But taking that a step further, which I think is very important in these days right now, is that we don't just work with the form of God that is so appealing to us. But you then do it with the Dark Mother. You do it with Kali, you do it with Shiva. You do it with the God that that transforms, that has to do with death, and cancer, and suicide, and power plays in politics, and all of that stuff. The Beloved can only be everything. Can we do Guru Yoga? Can we have this devotional relationship with the dark mother. I find that right now, my relationship with the dark is really alive. And without that, uh, it's so easy to see that this stuff is other than wholeness, other than the divine. Why don't I just mention the final practice? Uh, And that's a relationship with space. That's non-duality. I I created this meditation I call the two-breath meditation. We've talked about it before, not for quite a while. Two breaths to emptiness. Two breaths to spaciousness. First breath is up, down. The second breath is in, out. Up, down, in, out. So the first breath, you imagine... You go up to the top of your head. You just imagine that you're getting straight, that God has got a hook on the top of your head. That's why those Brahmins have a hunk of hair on the top, so God can pull them up to heaven. And that you're getting motivated. You're just getting in your body, and you're feeling straight. You're feeling motivated for practice. And the first out-breath is down. You drop down into your belly. You get centered in the way that we just did. A centering out-breath. The second in-breath is you breathe breathe into your heart, feeling love, compassion, devotion. And the second out-breath, you breathe in infinitely, you breathe out infinitely in all directions, dissolving into spaciousness. And then you do this again, up, down, in, out. And after a few of these, you can let go of the first breath and just do the second breath, breathing into the heart, breathing out into boundless spaciousness in all directions with each exhalation. Dissolving into spaciousness. Okay, so we've had seven different one, two, three, four, five, seven different practices. Connecting to the earth by grounding, connecting to the self by centering, connecting to the heart through conscious grief work, connecting to other people through Tonglen, compassion, loving-kindness practice, connecting to presence through the tantric three-step, connecting to God through guru yoga, both the light and the dark form, and finally connecting to spaciousness. In a way, having such challenging, such a challenging environment now—what's going on politically and with the, the economy and with uh, the pandemic—is a great gift in terms of motivation and inspiration to practice. All of this depends on motivation. All of this stuff works if you do it, and none of this stuff works. All of this stuff doesn't work if you don't do it, right? So can can the chaos, can the confusion, can the fear in the collective be the inspiration to do these practices, to be the person in, in your community, in your home, that is the, the person who's grounded, centered, loving, connected?